And God, as we continue to worship and we, we look at your word and, and ask the question, what does this mean for me? How does this impact my life? God, we invite you to be working. We invite you to work in each one of our hearts and our minds. God, orient us towards you. Reset our souls. Remind us of who you are and who we are, how much you love us and what you call us to. God, we invite you to continue to be present with us. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been uh, working through this series here at UDAC called Rooted, and uh, it's, it's, it's about kind of our foundations of who we are as a church. And so far, we've looked at uh, uh, the Word and um, prayer and missions and, and giving. And this week, I was asked to, uh, to speak on discipleship, on the idea of disciples who make disciples. And that's really quite a challenging thing, at least if you're like me, because I can understand, or at least I think I understand what it means to be a disciple, to, to follow Jesus, to be a Jesus follower. But, but when I get pushed into that, how am I making disciples? Where am I duplicating or multiplying? That becomes a bit of a challenge. And I end up, honestly, a little bit lost, a little bit overwhelmed by the idea. But it's something that we're called to, right? I mean, we all know this if we have been in church any, any amount of time. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, where we are called to go and make disciples. Jesus said that. And so this morning, I'd like to take us into that passage, and I'd like to unpack it and kind of take a look at it with a few other passages and a few other ideas in Scripture and see what it has to say to us and see where it can challenge us and see where God actually wants to work in and through us in this idea of, of being disciples who make disciples. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn with me into Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to read together. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Speaking uh, to the disciples after Jesus has been resurrected, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, before we unpack this, these, these, these few verses here, we really actually need to know what Jesus meant and what Jesus understood a disciple to be, what he meant when he said, go make disciples, what that word actually meant. Now, if you're reading along and you've got a King James Version, you're probably actually right now going, hang on a second, Jamie, the word disciples does not occur in this. You're right. The King James renders it, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. But the word that the NIV and the NASB and other translations translate as make disciples, which I'm terrible at pronouncing Greek, but it's matheutu, something like that. 
It can be understood um, in both ways. It's a verb, meaning to instruct or, or to teach. It doesn't make, say, make, mean make disciples, but it comes from the root noun, Matthaeitis, which is used 268 times in the New Testament and is translated in the King James as disciple every single one of those times. So Jesus is giving a command here, and he's saying, go teach, go instruct people what it means to be somebody who follows me, what it means to be a disciple. So what is a disciple? Well, what did Jesus mean when he asked the question, or said, go make disciples? And the easy answer is, well, that's a follower of Jesus, which is not wrong, but it's not actually a complete idea either. See, Jesus is telling his followers to go make disciples in the context of being a first century Jew. And to understand what Jesus meant when he said, go make disciples, we need to know what a disciple was to a first century Jew. Specifically, we need to know what a disciple was to a first century Jewish rabbi, which was a Jewish religious teacher. And the system in which the rabbis learned and grew and, and, and new rabbis um, became rabbis um, was this discipleship system. And the disciple was somebody who wanted to become a rabbi, somebody who wanted to go, to go deeper in the religious teachings. And so what they would do is they would look around and they would find a rabbi that they went, I want to be like that man. I want to be like that rabbi. And so they would go and they would actually literally leave their vocation, their family vocation, and their family behind, and they would go and they would follow like literally follow behind, go with, walk around with, listen to as the rabbis moved around and teached in different synagogues and, and places, and they would follow and they would listen to the rabbi. And as they followed, then they would approach the rabbi and they would say, I would like to be your disciple. And the rabbi would ask them questions and feel them out and, and kind of understand them a little bit and, and see whether they were really worthy of becoming a disciple. And the, lots of first century Jews would do this and follow rabbis, but few were chosen to become rabbis. And then the ones that were chosen would then spend years following the rabbi. They've left their family, they've left their vocation, they've left it all behind, and they'd follow the rabbi. And they'd listen to the rabbi, and as they, they grew and they learned, they'd start discussing things and challenging the rabbi and, and you know, arguing back and forth, not in an argumentative way as we understand in anger, but, but rather in the way of, of challenging and trying to understand and, and, and grow deeper in knowledge and understanding of, of one another. Until one day, their rabbi would say, you, my disciple, are now a rabbi. Go and make disciples. And that was the system in which Jesus knew. That's when he says, you are my disciples, or go make disciples, that is what he is talking about. He is talking about genuine followers, people who have left behind their old life to step into something new. 
And to be a disciple to Jesus meant there was a cost. It required giving things up. And he said this lots. Remember in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, Jesus says, large, or the Bible says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I don't think that Jesus literally meant that his followers are to hate their families, their biological families. But I think rather he's saying that there's a cost to following him, to being his disciple, to, be want, to, to wanting to be like him, become like him. And that cost was that following Jesus needed to be more important than anything else in life. And if family or jobs or anything else was coming between them and following Jesus, people needed to make a choice. Now, that actually seems really radical to the modern mindset. It wasn't to a first-century Jew, but to us, that's incredibly radical. We don't actually have a contemporary model to compare this to. See, we do education completely differently. If you want to become a pastor, you, the process is completely different than following a, a, another religious leader and, and becoming their disciple. We go to school, spend years, do degrees, maybe take out some student loans to pay. But the idea of being willing to give up everything that would come between you and becoming like the rabbi you want to be like the religious leader, teacher, well, that's just crazy. Giving up everything? Really? So in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says to his disciples, to his followers, which now we've unpacked that, is no longer actually a trendy way to say a Christian, is it? But when he's saying this to his disciples, that they are to go and make other disciples, he knows there's a cost to it. And he knows that these people he's telling to do this have already been willing to pay the cost, that they've made the choice to become his followers, his disciples. And his expectation is that as he gives this command, that these people that he's giving it to are already committed to him. And, and, and that they have oriented their entire lives behind following him and becoming wanting to be like Jesus. And then he tells them, go and multiply. Multiply, make more of yourselves. Make, not so they would follow you, but they would be my disciples. Make more disciples like me. And to do that, he gives them three imperatives, three things that he says you must do, that this is the process. First one is go Second one is baptize, and the third one is teach. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, there's a conversation that occurs between Jesus' disciples and himself. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. 
um, before he has ascended to heaven. And the disciples have this conversation with Jesus, and they say, okay, Jesus, now that you have been resurrected, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And uh, that goes back to their wrong understanding of what Jesus was actually trying to do, the, the, the one that they kind of perpetuated through the Gospels, this idea that Jesus was actually there to reset up the kingdom of Israel as they know, overthrow the Roman rule and all of that. And so they say, hey, Jesus, now that you've been resurrected, are you going to set this system back up? The, the thing that we've been looking forward to as Jews, are you going to kick the Romans out? Are you going to set yourself up as king? And Jesus' reply is, that when God restores things, when God restores all things, that, that time isn't for them to know. When God, when God makes things right and, and everything is the way it should be, that's not for them to know. But he says, once you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're to tell other people about me. He says, you will make disciples in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling them that if they are to tell the story of him and invite others to follow, they are doing God's will. This is what God has for them. They are to tell it in Jerusalem, where they are right now. They were in Jerusalem when that happened. They are to tell it right where they live with the people right around them, immediately around them. And then he says, and you tell it in Judah and Samaria, which is the country in which they are living, the, the kind of larger thing, but the thing that's quite easily accessible to them. They could walk from one end to the other in a few days. And, and then he said, and all around the world, that, that you are to make disciples and it should go everywhere. And you should tell everybody about this. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 19, Jesus directs his disciples and he says, make disciples of all nations, of all tribes, of all people groups, and all races. Make disciples of all. Jesus calls his disciples to go and make disciples. And then he says, baptize them. Baptism. Okay, baptism, we talked about it earlier. And, and there's a baptism service coming up, and, and we kind of used to that, right? That's, I mean, they're great. I love them. They're so awesome to be part of and to celebrate. But it's weird, isn't it? Like, really, when you think about it, that's weird. You, you, you get into a tub full of water with somebody else, and then they submerge you and hold you under and then pull you back out. That's weird. And we do it here. The early church did it in public. Can you imagine? I've been to baptism services that are in public. They're really, really weird. People look at you like you're strange, like you're religious extremists or something. But that's what Jesus says to do. He said, baptize them, go, get out there and tell people, and then baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Literally, in the Greek, it says, into the name of the Father, and of, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. He says, what you are to do, Jesus says, is tell people, go out there and tell people, 
And then you are to have them identify with me in a public setting that nobody can miss. Now, as an aside here, this is actually, that, that there is, is like a really, really cool passage. There is a Trinitarian formula to baptism that, that, that is seen here. And, and there's not actually that many. We believe in the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three parts of the Godhead, you know, but, but that actually doesn't occur very often in Scripture, where all three parts are referred to together. And here, all three parts are referred to together. Those are the same three people who were involved in Jesus' own baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, the Father says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And Jesus says, you are to baptize into the name of this Trinitarian Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this illustrates, this, this illustrates who God is. That, that, that it's not something that's... It's is a new thing, I guess. This, this, is, this is a new understanding or a deeper understanding of who God is. And Jesus is in asking the disciples to baptize into this new thing. And finally, Jesus tells his disciples to teach others as part of their discipleship process. We do that pretty well. Yet sermons and I just spent four weeks teaching children's ministry. You know, we do the teaching thing pretty well. But note, however, what Jesus says here. He says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. To Jesus, teaching isn't about imparting information. It's about obedience. About learning and teaching what it actually looks like to make Jesus the Lord of one's life, to to make Jesus your true rabbi. Teach people what that means. Teach people what it actually looks like to walk with Jesus. You know, it's um, also really interesting as we think about these things, about, think about this idea of discipleship. You know, in the New Testament, there isn't a single command to plant new churches. The command is to make disciples. Not to make institutions or buildings or organizations, but to make people who follow Jesus. Go and multiply. And that happens through people understanding what it is God has called them to do and walking in obedience, being willing to leave behind their old life. UDAC, our mission statement, is right here, it says, we exist to exalt Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Therefore, in his power, while demonstrating his love, we will reach, teach, and equip people to know, love, and serve him. Church, we put it on the wall. We're going to reach, teach, and equip. And that happens through Jesus' disciples, those who identify with him, those who are willing to leave behind their old ways and their old life and identify completely with Jesus and follow where he leads and where he goes.
It happens through those people being willing to go and baptize and teach. In the first century, when people wanted to follow follow a rabbi, they would go and ask. And lots asked. Not many were chosen. Jesus is different. Jesus walked around saying, come, follow me. Come, leave your old ways. I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. Leave your tax collecting behind. Come, follow me. A quick skim of the Gospels, I found 14 different occasions where he invited people to come and follow. And following Jesus, he knew what the cost was, but he knew what the offer was, too. We sang about that, something new, where we can now enter into relationship with God, where our sins are forgiven, where we're restored to relationship with God. And that's what being a disciple of Jesus means, right? We, we leave behind the old life. We identify with what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and we enter into a new life. And he says, make more people like me. And so this morning, I have some application, and they're questions. They're simply questions. But they're questions I really would like us all to ask of ourselves. And I say this, and I stand up here, and in this, I like, you know, I'm preaching this, but I don't feel like I got this. But here's the questions I'd like us to ask ourselves. What kind of disciples are we? What kind of disciple are you? What kind of disciple am I? Am I really putting following Rabbi Jesus ahead of everything else in my life? Or do I just tack him all along, on to the side of my life along with everything else? And I go to church, but there's not a radical shift in my allegiance and my, that what I set as important in my life. What kind of a disciple are we? Second question I'd like us to ask ourselves, am I being obedient to the call to go and make disciples? What excuses am I using to not? Right at the very start when Jesus says this in in verse 18 of chapter 28, he, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is actually in charge of it all. And we look around and we're like, I don't understand how Jesus is in charge of this. But he is, and he says he is, so, okay, well, you are God, so I trust you in this. But do we really? Because if we're not actually going and making disciples, we're not all being obedient to his call, it means we actually don't trust that he's actually in charge of all of this. Which goes back to the first question, what kind of disciple am I? Disciple-making isn't something that happens in large groups. Jesus had 12. But the third thing I want to ask you to consider to think about, who are you praying for? 
who are you praying for to become a disciple or that you're that God would show you and lead you in discipling that person? Where is or who is the person in your Jerusalem, close to home, right by you? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, there's a passage, and I love it. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, God is, is speaking to um, the Jews after the Exodus, and he says, These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And then a little bit further on, he goes on kind of in that theme a little bit, but he says, in the future, in verse 20, it says, in the future when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God has commanded? Right? What, what, what is the meaning of this, these, these rules and, and this, this way of living? What is the meaning of of all of it, and then, then he goes on and he talks a little bit about what the meaning was and how God had taken them out of Egypt. But in verse 25, it says, this is how you're supposed to explain it. If we are careful, son, if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, then he will be our righteousness. If we are careful to obey what God has called us to, then he will be our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. But he calls us to be his disciples and to go and make disciples. Jesus didn't send the disciples out on their own. They had the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, um, and Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus doesn't say, yeah, you're on your own in this. <laughs> Go make disciples in your own strength. He says, no, I, I'm with you. Like, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Father has already promised this to you. And then God fills his, his disciples with the Holy Spirit, and that tra- changes them, right? So Peter, right? who, when Jesus was being questioned by the chief priest before he was crucified, is asked by a servant girl, do you know this guy? Peter's like, bleep, 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 no, I don't know him. And I'm being polite to the text there, because Jesus, Peter is like really vehemently swearing that he doesn't know who Jesus is. He couldn't tell a servant girl that he knew, was Jesus' friend and denied that he even knew Jesus. That same Peter, after he has been filled with the Holy Spirit, steps out in front of a crowd of people and preaches the gospel. That same Peter, who, when he himself is hauled before the religious leaders and questioned, and he knows what happened to Jesus, when he's hauled before these same religious leaders and questioned, he is, then the scripture says, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he preaches what it means to be a disciple of Jesus to them. These 12 disciples, these 12 actual people who choose to leave everything behind, make Jesus the most important thing in their lives, they go out and they start something that changes the entire world. 
they go and they make disciples. Just multiply. That's all they do. Church friends, God doesn't change. He's the same God. He's the same God who changed the world through the disciples. And his heart for what he had then for people is the same heart now. He wants to change the world through us. Through us being disciples and going and making disciples.